Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 733 for the 5th of March, 2021. This week, a British software publisher with fewer than 100 employees seems to be challenging Adobe with its 20,000 or so employees worldwide. The planet is large enough for both, and each organization has useful features to offer its clients. In short circuits, if you have a print version of an encyclopedia at home, you are unusual. Even Britannica no longer publishes books, and Wikipedia has largely taken over the encyclopedia market. This year's scam emails look different from last year's, but the underlying ploys are the same. Let's take a look at the current crop. In spare parts, only on the website, Windows 10 can allow computers on your local network to obtain updates from your computer. If that creates a problem for you, there is a fix. If Watson isn't the most famous doctor, then who is? You may have seen that joke on the internet, and the answer is yes. If you're trying to watch Doctor Who on DVDs, you may feel that the BBC is making the task harder, and the answer is also yes. And 20 years ago, the Palm Pilot crushed Windows CE devices, the first step in Microsoft's ongoing lack of success with handheld devices. British software publisher Serif has been around for more than three decades, but shifted into high gear in 2014 with the release of the first in a new line of Affinity applications, Affinity Designer. Affinity Photo was released in 2015 and Affinity Publisher in 2019. Updates have been frequent, and all three applications are now at version 1.9. They include some attractive new features for both Windows and Mac OS users, Performance improvements affect all three applications, and the Windows version can make full use of the Graphics Processing Unit, or GPU, for faster response. That's a feature that's been in the macOS version for a while now. Affinity says that users with at least the April 2020 update for Windows and a graphics card with level 12.0 of Direct3D will see substantial improvements on pixel-based tasks. These include things like adding filter effects, performing adjustments, and painting. Serif began in 1987 with the objective of providing low-cost alternatives to high-end publishing and graphics packages. As with many Windows applications that began in the 1980s, the code became bloated over time and hard to maintain. In 2009, Serif decided to focus on development of new applications for both Windows and Mac OS. The change meant throwing away all the old code and starting from scratch. That process took nearly five years before the first new application was released. That first application was Affinity Designer, an application intended primarily for working with vector images, so that means images will contain a lot of geometric objects with fill colors and stroke colors. Any object can be filled with a color or be transparent and can have an optional stroke of any color and width. 
A complex image may contain hundreds or even thousands of individual shapes, and if a designer wants to fine-tune a project by changing the color of every object that has a particular fill, stroke, or combination of the two, the process could involve individually selecting a huge number of objects. Designer 1.9 offers a much easier option. Select one object that you want to change, then choose Select Same from the Select menu. With all of the objects selected, changing the color is easy. There are also options to select items with the same shape, blend mode, transparency, stroke weight, name, and tag color. Many modern applications allow the user to select which dialog boxes are visible, to position them as desired on the screen, and to group the dialogs. Version 1.9 of all three Affinity applications have added this feature, and when the user has an arrangement that's just right for a specific set of tasks, that arrangement can be saved as a preset. Because one arrangement won't be right for all possible uses of the program, the application allows for multiple presets to be saved. For example, I might want the character dialog and the paragraph dialog to be visible when working with a design that has a lot of text. These are not visible by default. I might also want the glyph browser, which is visible by default, to be in the same group. After opening the character and paragraph dialogs, it's easy to drag them into a single group and then drag the glyph browser into the same group. To make that preset available whenever needed, just add a new preset to the Studio Presets menu. And if you have more than one monitor, some of the dialog boxes can be placed on the second monitor to keep them out of the way. Designer 1.9 adds custom brushes, and the number of options graphic artists have for creating highly customized patterns is remarkable. Text on a Path isn't new, but it has received some substantial improvements in this edition. There are other features that are highly specialized, but are sufficiently esoteric that I'm just not going to even try to explain them here. Underlying vector images in any application that can create them is a wire frame that clearly reveals each geometric shape. Sometimes it's helpful to be able to see those wireframe views without the color and fill being present. And Designer uses the split-screen mode, which is also present in Photo, to show these. Also note that many of the new functions work in all three applications, so let's move on to the most complex of the three programs in the suite, and that is Affinity Publisher. Besides being the most complex of the three applications, Publisher is also the most specialized application, and probably the one that's used by the smallest number of people. One important point is that Affinity Publisher is not Adobe InDesign. The two applications would seem to have different target audiences, where InDesign is used by large organizations that often need many other of the applications in the Creative Cloud suite, Publisher seems to be designed for more modest settings. That is not to say that Affinity Publisher is weak or underpowered. It is certainly not. Publisher is surprisingly robust for an application that's only two years old. Development goes back a lot further, but the first edition of Publisher was released in 2019. Having said that, the latest version of Publisher looks a lot like this small British company is targeting Adobe InDesign. While Publisher can't open InDesign files directly, those INDD files, it can open InDesign IDML files, 
These are the InDesign markup language files introduced with Designer CS4. IDML files provide an interchange format for Adobe InDesign documents, as well as a way for third-party tools to modify and assemble InDesign documents. So, InDesign documents saved in the backwards-compatible IDML format can be opened in Publisher. Affinity Publisher can also open PDF, AI, PSD, SVG, EPS, and a lot of other file formats. Version 1.9 includes many powerful professional publishing capabilities, such as double-page spreads, live master pages and nested master pages, text wrapping with padding control, the ability to link text frames for text flow, and custom-shaped text frames. Because Publisher, Designer, and Photo are so closely linked, resources created in one can be accessed from the other two seemingly without leaving the active application. Live pre-flight checking is included to warn users when there's a problem with a document and the problem will affect print quality. The system will report poor image resolution, bleed hazards, overflowing text, spelling errors, missing images, and missing typefaces. And when the document is ready to be delivered to a printing press, publisher can package all of the document resources in a way that print shops expect. Perhaps the most remarkable new feature is the ability to merge text and images from data files. The example Serif gives is a job that involves printing admission tickets for an event. Each ticket contains a unique barcode and number. To accomplish this, Publisher currently supports text files, comma-separated files, JSON files, and Excel files. And finally, we'll take a look at what is probably the most used application in this trio. The photo application can smooth skin and reduce blemishes by using what's called frequency separation. There is also a specialized Liquify workspace that can be used to sculpt features. Effects such as blurs, lighting distortion, and perspective corrections can all be applied without modifying the original image. So if you decide later that you want the effect to be less prominent, you can scale it back or remove it. Photographers who enjoy taking pictures of the night sky will like the ability to stack images. During the processing, software detects and corrects faulty pixels for better results. Serif says that a background removal filter can eliminate light pollution, light from the moon, and other atmospheric effects in addition to sensor defects. Correcting color casts is one of the more vexing problems that photographers face, and the new Divide Blend offers new ways to address that old problem. It can also be used to enhance colors from an infrared image. Photo makes good use of the split-screen function to see before and after versions of an image when using a feature such as haze removal, but it's also helpful for nearly any other modification. For contrast, color balance, saturation, and other adjustments, the user can decide whether the modification is better or worse. Working with raw images gives access to all the expected functions, such as lens corrections, exposure, black point, white balance corrections, histograms, noise reduction, hot pixel removal, alerts that reveal blown-out white areas and dark areas where all detail is lost, the ability to add EXIF data, and importing XMP data from other photo applications, and also the ability to add copyright information to files. So what's the overall plan here? Is Serif, with 100 employees around Nottingham in England, trying to get the best of Adobe's 20,000 employees worldwide? Well, that's doubtful. 
highly doubtful when we consider Affinity's limited product line and Adobe's always increasing stable of applications. But the Affinity line can certainly provide robust options for those whose needs are satisfied by designer, photo, and publisher applications, and who can't afford the $50 per month Creative Cloud fee. For $50 per month, Creative Cloud users also have access to thousands of typefaces and Adobe's applications for user experience design, video editing, audio production, and more. The planet and the user base are large enough for both companies to prosper. Or maybe Seraph is hoping that Adobe will see value in their approach with the Affinity line and simply purchase the company. Serif is currently running a sale on its applications. Although they have surprisingly low prices to begin with, all three applications are available for half price. Instead of being $50 each, they are $25 each, so the entire suite can be purchased for $75. In January, Serif announced the lower prices and an extended trial period, 90 days instead of 30. According to Managing Director Ashley Hewson, for nearly a year, the COVID-19 pandemic has continued to severely impact people all over the world, not least in the creative community. It's the same plan that Serif provided for a while in 2020, but it expired as the pandemic appeared to be getting better. Hewson says, sadly, it's clear the pandemic continues to have a serious impact. So the company is offering the same price reductions and the same extended trial periods. So the bottom line here is five cats. Ignore those low prices because there's a lot of power here. Given the price of admission, Serif's affinity line of applications is remarkable. In fact, if you consider the price and performance, the line is astounding. Even at full price, the affinity apps are great values. And the current half price offering makes that combination all but irresistible. Updates have been free for all owners of any version 1 application. Presumably, there will be an upgrade fee when version 2.0 applications arrive, and the applications all have perpetual licenses. You'll find additional details on the Serif Affinity website, and you'll find a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. In Short Circuits, back in the 1950s, we had a set of Encyclopedia Britannica at home. I still have that set, and I might still occasionally use it for some topics, but Wikipedia is much faster and easier. It also may be more accurate. I have been reading The Innovators, How a Group of Inventors, Hackers, Geniuses, and Geeks Created the Digital Revolution by Walter Isaacson. He's the longtime technology editor at the Wall Street Journal. The penultimate chapter discusses the web and Wikipedia, which are essential topics in understanding today's technology. But to really learn about Wikipedia, a good source is Wikipedia. 
Encyclopedia Britannica discontinued printing books in 2010 and switched to online and DVD offerings that contained about 80,000 articles in English. By contrast, Wikipedia has more than 30 million articles in 287 languages. At its most basic, Wikipedia is a free, multilingual, open collaborative online encyclopedia created and maintained by a community of volunteer editors using a wiki-based editing system. Those are the words directly from Wikipedia. To continue, it is one of the 15 most popular websites as ranked by Alexa as of January 2021. The Economist newspaper placed it as the 13th most visited place on the web. Featuring no advertisements, it is hosted by the Wikimedia Foundation, an American nonprofit organization funded primarily through donations. So that's the intro to the Wikipedia article on Wikipedia. Anybody can submit or edit an article, and it would be reasonable to expect that this would lead to chaos and inaccuracy. But anyone can also correct inaccurate information. Unlike previous encyclopedias that required peer-reviewed articles, Wikipedia depends on crowd-sourced intelligence. Early in Wikipedia's history, academics often reacted with scorn. Certainly Wikipedia must be full of errors, they said. Well, certainly there are errors, but Britannica also has errors even with those peer-reviewed articles. As early as 2005, rigorous comparisons showed that Wikipedia was generally as accurate as Britannica, and that it reacted faster to correct inaccurate information. Isaacson described in his book a situation that he saw firsthand. I quote, Early on in Wikipedia's development, I was researching a book about Albert Einstein, and I noticed that the Wikipedia entry on him claimed that he had traveled to Albania in 1935 so that King Zog could help him escape the Nazis by getting him a visa to the United States. Isaacson knew that information was inaccurate, even though the article listed references to obscure Albanian websites where this was proudly proclaimed. Isaacson said he deleted the assertion from the article only to watch it reappear. On the discussion page, he provided sources indicating that Einstein actually was at Princeton at the time and that he had a Swiss passport. Tenacious Albanian partisans kept reinserting the claim, he said. Eventually, the edit wars ended and the article no longer had Einstein going to Albania. At the time, Isaacson said he didn't attribute the access to the wisdom of crowds, since the push for a fix had come from him and him alone. But then he realized that he, like thousands of others, was in fact part of the crowd, occasionally adding a tiny bit to its wisdom. Nobody knows everything, but everybody knows something. That seems to be Wikipedia's primary operating principle. In fact, it generally illustrates the history of computing. Advances are rarely made by individuals working alone, but by cooperating with others. Isaacson's long book is full of stories that show how one person builds on the successes of another to develop something that's entirely new. Things that seem so obvious and commonplace to us today were beyond the imaginations of even forward-looking individuals just a few decades ago. Watch a motion picture from the 1950s or 1960s, and you'll see how plot points often depend on one person's inability to contact another. 
In today's connected world, that's simply unthinkable. And if you'd like to explore the making of today's technology, reading Isaacson's book, The Innovators, How a Group of Inventors, Hackers, Geniuses, and Geeks Created the Digital Revolution, would be a really good way to start. The faces presented by scam emails change, but the underlying procedures have remained largely unchanged for a long time. Spam filters and protective applications may help, but they won't fully protect you. Intelligence, skepticism, and maybe a little bit of paranoia are required. Let's take a look at a couple of lame and laughable scam attempts that have come to my mailbox recently. And although laughable and lame, they doubtless fool some people. Bitcoin has been in the news recently because some people have lost their master password and as a result have lost money that they had stored in Bitcoin. Blockchain is the technology behind digital currencies, so anybody who holds digital currency will probably look closely at a message supposedly from blockchain about losing access to their funds. That's why it's important to look beyond the surface. You'll find a screenshot of a message that claims to be from blockchain on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Follow along as we take a look at it here. Starting at the top of the message, it claims to be from notify at support.blockchain.com.a. But the top-level domain, A, doesn't exist. The shortest top-level domains have two characters. Without going any further, you can dismiss this message right now as a phony. But wait, there's more. The address the message was sent to is not one that I would use for a blockchain account, if I had one, which I don't. And still more. The message was sent on the 17th of February, and it says that my blockchain account, which as you know I don't have, will expire the very next day. Any legitimate organization will provide at least a 30-day window during which the client can respond, and most will allow 60 days, or even 6 months, and sometimes even more than that. If you want more, the inside address says, Hi there! No name, no account number. Any reputable organization will know your name, or at least will know your login ID, and will reference at least one of those in the message. And then at the bottom of the message, there's a big blue Update Now button. That button will take anyone who clicks it to a website that tries to get the user's ID and password. Thinking that a legitimate website might have been compromised, I tried to look at the website root on the server, and Firefox warned me, Firefox blocked this page because it may trick you into doing something dangerous, like installing software or revealing personal information, like passwords or credit cards. So obviously the person who approaches every email message with caution and skepticism would know that the only rational thing to do would be to simply delete the message. And here's another one. A day earlier, I had received an email that claimed to be from Amazon. The message showed me a photograph of a $1,600 computer and said it would be shipped soon. Now, I do have an Amazon Prime account, but this message was not sent to the address that I use for Amazon transactions. So, as with the first message, I could have deleted it right there without any further inspection. But I looked a little deeper. The message claims to be from CARES, at amazn-usshipping69.co, which is nonsense. Messages from Amazon are sent from autoconfirm at amazon.com, shipment-tracking at amazon.com, 
and possibly a few other addresses, but they're always from Amazon.com, not A-M-A-Z-N-U-S-Shipping-69.co. There's fatal error number two. Amazon messages always address me by name, not just, hello. So there's yet another reason to ignore the message and delete it. The message says, you order Acer Predator Triton 500 will be dispatched. That's pretty ungrammatical in a way that even a fifth grader would recognize. The next line is even worse. Note, if you don't order this item, call on 1-850-757-4527. U.S. English does not place a space before a colon. The word don't should obviously be didn't. And U.S. English doesn't have us make a phone call by calling on a number. Also, the phone number is incorrectly formatted, and there's no period at the end of the sentence. The supposed recipient of this expensive computer seems to live in Fernley, Nevada, which is a real town. It's northeast of Reno. The street address, though, is either mangled, or it simply doesn't exist. Over the years, I have seen a lot of messages from Amazon. And although this one does contain the Amazon branding, it looks nothing like any message I have ever received from Amazon. And one final clue, the message contained a lot of text formatted to look like links. You won't see those on the screenshot, but they were there. Hovering the mouse cursor over any of those supposed links shows that they really aren't links. The only real option is calling the phone number. Call it at your peril. It takes no special intelligence and virtually no specialized knowledge to identify these phony messages. All that's really required is that we make full use of our wetware. That's the stuff that resides between our ears. There's nothing phony in spare parts. To see this week's articles, visit the TechBiter Worldwide website, and here's what you'll find. Windows 10 can allow computers on your local network to obtain updates from your computer. If that creates a problem for you, there's a fix. If Watson isn't the most famous doctor, then who is? Notice I didn't ask a question there. You may have seen that joke on the internet, and the answer is yes. And if you're trying to watch Doctor Who on DVDs, you may feel that the BBC is making the task harder. The answer is also yes. And 20 years ago, the Palm Pilot crushed Windows CE devices, the first step in Microsoft's ongoing lack of success with handheld devices. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.